Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm going to be joined here in just a few seconds by my co-host David Ramil, as well as the host of Locked On Bulls, Sean Hyken, as we continue along our Locked On Podcast Network crossover series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Chicago Bulls today. We're going to be talking about the Miami Heat today. Chris Bosh. Dwayne Wade and his impact with his new team. And we're going to get into the Eastern Conference as a whole. This is a really good conversation. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. So let's get on with it. Locked on Heat, Locked on Bulls crossover podcast. Um, do you have like a list of questions or anything that you want to, or talking no. or anything like that? No, I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of Wade talk. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the Bosch stuff from today. Yeah. But other than That's that. Good news, yeah. Other than, I mean, it's good news, but I also still just think it's such a bad idea to clear him to play. Really? I do. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so like, I'm sure they vetted it and they've done their research and stuff, and they they feel good about it if they're going to clear him. But I just, I, I just, I have such a bad feeling about it still. Well, he seems he seems pretty pissed off at the organization. I don't know. There seems to be some underlying tension there. And he, he, he keeps, you know, I mean, neither side has been really open and public about it, which is a concern also. But, you know, he's in, in his comments today, I think he said, that, you know, something to the effect that players from other sports are taking these thinners or something along those lines. So that why can't he play basketball? Seems, uh, it seems like such a bad idea. You know, I think it's it makes sense, you know, from a medical standpoint to just just retire or if you're the heat from a legal standpoint to just like not let him play. But if you're Chris, the thing is if you're Chris Bosch, like he's not one of these guys that has no life outside of basketball. He can, he has so so many other interests. He can find something else to do. I've always said that man, he could could just start playing guitar and brewing his own beer and have a nice house. Yeah, no, exactly. Like he's, he's one of the more like interesting dudes in the league with like a diverse set of interests. He could, he could find stuff to do if, if they tell him he can't play. He's not like, it's not like if, they told Kobe he had to medically retire when he was like 31. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep thinking back about what he said last off season when he was cleared to play and, and before the second diagnosis had come up and he kept talking about wanting to be back there in the locker room and, and kind of hang out with the guys on road trips and the bonding experience and everything else like that. And I wonder how much of that, was built around his his friendship and relationship with Wayne Wade, who's no longer with the team. The only guy from the, not... the only guy who's still there is Haslam, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll talk about this when we record, right? I've already started recording. We're just talking about it now. <laughs> this is it. This is the podcast. This is the podcast, guys. I didn't realize we were recording already. Oh yeah, I didn't even ask your permission. We just started. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I think the main thing with Bosch was that, like, I don't know. I feel like, um, like the the organization has had a knack of not really communicating with its players lately, and I feel <laughs> like maybe 
you know, David and I have talked a lot about it on our podcast and how like we haven't heard, we haven't been hearing anything for months. You know, it's been like eight months since his blood clot, and we haven't really heard anything. And um, I'm wondering now if it's the same thing for Bosch, who's just like, what are you guys thinking? Like, what what's the deal here? And that's why maybe he's been taking to social media saying things like, I could play, I'm ready, we're gonna get this, all these things. Right. We're kind of running up against the time for him to get cleared by the start of training camp. It's less than two weeks away. So I think he he wants them to be like, okay, are we... There's no minute like the last minute, right? No, exactly. Well, he even referred to you know, owner Mickey Harrison's tweet as if that was kind of giving him carte blanche to show up at media day. It's like, hey, I've got clearance from the team owner, so clearly I can be here, right? right I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I somehow don't think, I don't, somehow don't think a, a tweet from Mickey Harrison is going to hold up in a Slaps it on the table. This is medical I, proof that I'm good to go, guys. He put a basketball emoji though, in here. Right? My, owner, my, uh, my team's owner... Uh, probably sent this tweet like from one of his cruise ships that he owns like he like we're gonna we're gonna clear him to play <laughs> i think um but from everything that from today it sounds it sounds good that that it sounds like he's gonna be medically clear that he expects to be in training camp in the bahamas i mean don't get me wrong i hope that everything goes great and he's able to play and, and he doesn't have any more health problems going forward i just have such i have such a bad feeling about it Yeah, when it first came up last season, I wrote about how I thought he was just, you know, it was best for him just to retire because of what we just talked about, that he has so many interests. He has this this family that depends on him and he's such an integral part of and he seems to truly enjoy. It's not like a lot of players, you don't really see that side to him, but he's been very public and open about how much he enjoys spending time with his family and the Bosch World Tour that he goes through every summer. I follow him on Snapchat. I'm I'm aware. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that's that's become that's been the most interesting part of the summer to me. Is now it's part of my job to follow Dwayne and Gabby on Snapchat. So that's been kind of an experience for me. You're you're lucky, man. Sure, it has. Um, Every time I think about Bosch, though, and I I don't disagree with you, Sean. I think it's a bad idea. That's like kind of my gut feeling too. But I remember I try to remember two things. Number one, um, he doesn't have the blood clot that. I get or the the gene that makes blood clots like a reoccurring thing, I guess, whatever that is. But it already is a reoccurring thing. It already happened well, twice. Well, technically, but it's not I guess it's a free coincidence is apparently what's happened. And the second thing is I'm not a doctor and I have no idea what I'm talking about. So whatever feeling I have <laughs> exactly. is like it whatever my thoughts and feelings are are completely irrelevant and un- uneducated. All I know is what I'm reading in in sport but that's been written by sports reporters, which is not No, I I I agree it, but it's it's the kind of thing where it's like uh, you know, with, with just a nor- if this was just like, oh, he, you know, he tore his ACL or something, right. he doesn't want to come back. Like that's not like potentially life threatening the way a blood clot thing is. Like well, if apparently they, this if is they- like this is like almost like Russell Westbrook um, tearing his MCL in back to back seasons. He doesn't have like a gene that makes him more predisposed to tearing his MCL. It's almost like just a freak accident that he tore the same ligament twice in two years. That's from, yeah, from what I understand. Also, that's what this is, sort of, kind of. Right, but you also can't you also can't die from tearing your knee uh, the way that right. Russell Westbrook did. You could you could die from this if they mishandle it. And I just I, that's if I were the Heat, and even if they, I mean, again, I'm sure they wouldn't clear him if they hadn't completely done their research and covered all their bases with this stuff. But like, uh, I just I, that's just not something I would play around with. But I wonder, and again, you know, given our lack of collective medical knowledge here, you know, he he was playing at a pretty high level before he had it diagnosed the second time around. And from what I remember, 
he just said he was pretty fatigued. And then his wife kind of said, hey, go check it out. Go see a doctor, et cetera. And then that's when they kind of figured out what was going on with the blood clot situation. But I wonder if potentially you could continue to play through it maybe for a prolonged amount of time and then have it diagnosed later on. I, I mean, honestly, I don't I don't have any idea whatsoever, but I'm wondering how much that kind of really impacts his ability to play at a high level. I like, do I, think that... Like, you don't want to risk his life or anything yeah. like that, but you want him to be able to continue to play. I think that there's going to there's gonna be a scheduling situation where maybe he's not playing the second night of back-to-backs, or maybe he's not going on, like, the three- and four-game road trips or something like that. I think... The maintenance program, right? Right, maintenance, the Bosch maintenance program, exactly. I think we could see that come back and... I, the Heat might get fifty or sixty games out of him. I'm starting to I mean, think that that's going to be the situation. Happens, I mean, if that happens and he's healthy and this doesn't come back, then that's great. It's better but, than zero games. Yeah, it's better absolutely. than the forty games he's been playing the last two years. Um, yeah, especially because no, I was, I was, I remember, I was, I was in Toronto for All Star Weekend, and that's it was right, just, yeah. it was so overnight, like they literally had to fly Al Horford into Toronto on the Saturday because like to do media day stuff just because Bosch like had, they had they had said like he they found that just, like he had like a calf strain and we didn't you know, they didn't say what it was but then as time went on it was just like uh wasn't Horford like on vacation too in like the Bahamas yeah, or something yeah and then they like called him and he was like sorry babe <laughs> got to go to Toronto now uh, that's yeah <laughs> that's I don't know. Do you if remember? A... I, I remember. I think this was like 2007. Yeah. Uh, Rashid Wallace was lobbying coaches around the league to not vote him as a reserve for the All Star team because his wife already had a vacation planned, and then they voted him in anyway, and he had to go. That's such like a human <laughs> thing. That's some <laughs> for a basketball yeah. player to do. That's great. But it's so perfectly Rashid too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be there. I, the, uh, the opportunity of a lifetime to be an all-star, and I'd rather not do it because I don't well, want to piss off my I mean, wife. He's been you know? an all-star a bunch of times before that, so it wasn't like this was his first time. He was just like, my wife already has his vacation. He's like worried about getting like the tickets refunded. He's like, I can't get these tickets refunded. It's been more than forty-eight hours. Like, it's like no, oh, you're a millionaire. Absolutely. <laughs> um. Well, I'm sure you have some questions for us about Dwayne Wade, right? Uh, who? <laughs> he's the guy, like, I think that's the guy that was their starting two guard before they really found their franchise two guard for the future, Dion Waiters. Absolutely. Wow, you're another convert. That's awesome. <laughs> you're speaking our language, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I he guess was, I'll be sort He of was the stopgap between the 1990s and Dion Waiters. Exactly. And Dion <laughs> Waiters is going to be, is going to be the one that leads him back to, uh, <laughs> no, I just I I I'm just like I'm still in shock that he left Miami, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's still not gonna. It's probably still not gonna feel real until I actually watch him play a game. Even because like I was at his press conference at the end of July when they introduced him with the Bulls and he held up the number three Bulls jersey. It just seems wrong, doesn't it? But he didn't it put it on, right? Wrong. And, no, he didn't put it on. He just held it up right. at media day. I guess in a couple of weeks he's gonna be wearing it. So wow. we'll see him wearing it, but it's still going to be weird until he actually is introduced and plays in a game. Like that's when it's going to feel real because this is like For me. I don't think it'll be until he in November. I think right is the first game he plays against the November. Heat. Yeah, um, I don't think it'll be until that game where I really feel like it's real because before that I'll be like, oh, he's just kind of helping out the Bulls for a little bit. He'll be back in a few weeks until like he's back and then he's like not playing for the Heat. 
getting introduced with the, with the visiting team and getting like a video tribute in the first quarter during yeah. a timeout or whatever. Yeah, and like everybody having fine. like thank you, Dwayne signs. It seems like it's not. It's 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 the kind of situation where ever. I mean, for whatever tension there is between him and Pat Riley, and he said in his press conference that there is none, which I don't really buy. Mm-hmm. But it seems like everything the organization has done since he left, like they had like Dwayne Wade Day in Miami afterwards, and like Mickey Arison wrote that note on their website that said that they're going to retire his jersey one day. It seems like the. This is not like, you know, with LeBron where, like, there was clearly, like, some animosity towards him for leaving. Like, clearly, I think the Heat organization was like, you know, we get it. We're going to, you know, we want the fans to celebrate him when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, and recently, like, there's all these articles about his uh, um, work in the Chicago community and everything. And there was this one quote where he's like, I still don't really know why I did it, why I left the Heat to join the Bulls. He's like, I still wasn't sure why I did it even after I signed the contract and it all happened, but now I realize why I did it, and it was so that I could help the Chicago community. Number well, one, that's the and thing. I, he's, from, he's from around here. His mother yeah. is a pastor yeah. in yeah. Chicago. She's a big part of the community here. Uh, like it, it, This is really the only place, when you think about it, this is the only place that really would have made sense for him to go. As if he was going to leave, and because like when, when he and I was, I wanted to ask him this at his press conference, and he, but I didn't get a chance to. Like they ran out of time or something. But like I was, at, I wanted to ask him like how seriously he was actually considering some of those other teams he talked to, because like the idea of Dwayne Wade going and playing for the Denver Nuggets, like that just that just made never. Even if they right. they had the most money to offer him, and that's probably why he was using them as leverage. But the idea of him actually doing that, and I know Mike Miller was part of that pitch, and that's his boy from Miami for a few years. But like that, the idea, the very idea of that just never made any sense. Chicago, you can at least look at it and say, I get why he picked Chicago. He's from there. You know, it's a team that he talked to pretty seriously in 2010 when the three of them were free agents and decided to go to Miami. And he even said at his press conference that he really wanted to go back to Chicago in 2010, but that the Heat were the only team that had the cap space to sign all three of them, so that's what they did. And I don't know how much of that is just him playing to his audience now that he's in Chicago or how much of that is truthful, but that's a thing he said. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I ever took the 2010 flirtation seriously, although at the time I remember thinking, you know, before we even conceived of the uh, the notion of the big three here in Miami, I, I mean, I thought there were some concerns from a lot of Heat fans. And when he took a second meeting with Chicago, that it might be seriously. But then after the fact, you kind of assumed that that was just uh, innocent flirtation, so to speak, and that maybe he wasn't taking it so seriously. But, you know, clearly it was something that in the back of his mind there. But I kind of wanted to to pick your brain a little bit because, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about how he's going to fit on the floor, but I'm curious how you see his personality kind of blending in with guys like Rajon Rondo, a a person he's clashed with many times over the past (laughs) and guys like Jimmy Butler. I mean, what's, what's going to be like the chemistry off the floor? Cause that's, I think what I'm I'm most concerned with, that's going to be, I think the powder keg, everybody's going to be waiting to explode. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm honestly not worried about Dwayne, uh, going uh not fitting in with the other guys in the team because of anything he does i think he's he's going to be the one that like tries to do everything possible to make it work and it was such a smart political move on his part at his very first press conference somebody asks him the question uh 
you know, whose team is this? And he said, right. like, let's just get this out of the way right now. This is Jimmy Butler's team. And I think it was even even if, like, you know, when it actually comes down to it, you know, he's the guy with the most, you know, accomplishments in that locker room, you know, with the two titles, with the three titles, rather, and the finals MVP and the however many 10, 11 all-star appearances. He's, like, clearly, you know, the guy on the team in terms of, like, of the accomplishments and, like, other guys looking up to him. But just putting it out there, the perception that he didn't come out there that he didn't come to Chicago to take any spotlight away from Jimmy Butler. I think that's going to be good for like helping to manage some of the egos that are there and just putting that out there, I, I think was smart, but you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, as much as the best player on the team right now is like is Jimmy Butler because he's 26 and he, you know, he's in the prime of his career and he's still an elite two way player, which I don't think Dwayne Wade is anymore. Dwayne Wade is still Dwayne Wade. Sure. So yeah. like now, now the, the Rondo part, like I think the Wade thing would have made so much more sense than signing him if, Rondo wasn't also part of the picture. That's the one where, like, if you look at, like, how he, how Rondo has dealt with different coaches that he's had, it was obviously a disaster with Rick Carlisle. It was a disaster with George Carl in Sacramento. And even towards the end of the Doc Rivers era, they were kind of right. over. So, like, like, like they were both kind of over each other at that point. But, like, I, I'm really interested to see. And, I, and Fred Hoiberg is a little bit more of a hands-off type of coach to put it uh kindly like he's not gonna be like rick carlisle i think part of why the carlisle thing didn't work with rondo is because carlisle is such a hands-on coach and he tries to micromanage everybody's you know what what plays they run what offense they run and rondo's a guy that likes to have the ball in his hands a lot and really dictate what's going on and obviously carlisle's a great coach so i'm not saying like that is a bad, bad thing that he tries to do that but fred hoiberg is you know if he has a strong personality on his team like Rondo or Jimmy Butler, he's perfectly happy to just say, "Okay, yeah, you guys, you guys go figure it out." Yeah, I think Dwayne Wade's gonna have to do a lot of leading by example. Like, and you already said, like he's kind of already started that. Uh, I think, like you said, like the Rondo thing would have made a lot, or the Wade thing would have made a lot more sense if Rondo wasn't there. And they probably wouldn't have signed Rondo if they knew that they were getting Dwayne Wade. Like, and I thought Ron, I thought the Rondo signing took place after they had already signed. No, third no, Rondo. No, Rondo was first. Yeah, oh, he Rondo, was, was, Rondo was like Rondo was like July third, and then oh. and then like July sixth or seventh. Yeah, I'll have to go back. I've Wes, a, I know you and I did a podcast yeah. the night that it came out that Wade was going to actually go to Chicago. We did a podcast, but like I'll, I'll have to go back and listen to was, that. But like we, we you know, talked Rondo, in between my tears. I remember that. I know that. Well, I know. No, I know that the Rondo <laughs> thing was first because I had the Rondo met with media the first day that you could actually sign players on July 7th. And that was the day after Wade, the Wade news had broke and PR told us like before they brought Garth Foreman out, Hey, the Wade thing isn't official yet. So you can't ask about Wade, but like, so, so the, the Rondo thing was definitely first. I think that was more of sense of, okay, like they traded Derek Rose. So they didn't have a clear starting point guard. You know, they got Jerry and Grant back in the Rose trade, but I, maybe they just decided he wasn't worthy of, you know, being, 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 de being designated from day one. And they wanted to still be, you know, competitive. They didn't want to just punt and rebuild. And the crop of free agent point guards this year, outside of Mike Conley, who I don't think anybody ever thought was seriously going to consider leaving Memphis. And obviously he didn't. And then, Jeremy Lin, who got the deal done with Brooklyn pretty quickly. Like, other than that, there really wasn't a lot out there in terms of point guards. So I think what it probably was was, like, Rondo wasn't, you know, just because of where he is in his career and how the last couple of years have gone for him, he didn't really get a lot of big offers like, they, like he was kind of hoping to. 
and then the Bulls like didn't really have a lot else to do for point guards, so they were just like, okay, let's just do this. And it's essentially a one year deal. It was it was a two year deal, but the third the second year they can buy it out for three million. So it's really mm-hmm. only a one year fully guaranteed deal. I think a lot of people are looking towards that backcourt and fit, trying to say like, well, how are they going to fit together? You know, there's it's basically three guys who are non shooters from beyond the three point line, and how are they going to fit? Like the egos might clash, but. I, to that, I would always just point back to last year's Miami Heat team with Goran Dragic, right. Dwayne Wade, uh, Joe Johnson, guys like that who, on paper, are all good individual players, but also on paper don't really fit together. But at the same time, they're all just good players, and good players. Well, didn't Joe Johnson ways. shoot like thirty-eight percent from three after he got to Miami? He did. Yeah, but he's you know he's a he's a ball hog, you know, so he doesn't necessarily fit right. along with the, you know, the ball dominant guys like Dragic and Wade, and so. But they still like finished third in the Eastern Conference, so it's just like I, f- I feel like as people that who who analyze this so much, like like we do with who are writers and podcasters, and we're looking at like the N- the trends in the NBA of small ball and and sharing the ball and all this stuff, right? But we 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 also underestimate the fact that this is Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo, who are three. Two of them are very experienced championship guys, and one, as you said, is one of the best two way players in the NBA. Like sometimes that's right. just, you have enough talent to just get it done. I'm not saying the Bulls are going to finish third in the Eastern Conference, but I don't think that it's going to be the dumpster fire everybody's making the it Bulls out to be. Third in the Eastern Conference, right? I, I think, I, uh, I, I, yeah, it's not going to be the chaos that everybody thinks it's going to be. I don't think. Uh, well, I mean, I think it could go either way. But as, as far as a three point shooting thing, it's kind of interesting because this past year, Jimmy Butler shot 31. percent I have the Basketball Reference page up here uh, right now. He shot 31% from three, 31.2%. But the year before, when he kind of really had his breakout year and won most improved player, he shot uh, 37.8% from three. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, you know, the optimistic view of this would be that, you know, that last year was just kind of a one-year slump. And if he can just get back up to shooting, not, not necessarily 37 or 38, but even just like 35 or 36 to where he's at least like around league average where – a defender has to at least be on him. Yeah. Then that the one, would be that would be good. The one thing that and worries then, me about is, Jimmy Butler, though, is I think I read a quote from him or heard him on a podcast or something this summer. But he basically, I don't know how much I should make out of this, but he basically said, "I don't, I don't really care about three point shooting or two point shooting. I don't care where my shot comes from. Points are points, regardless. And if I could score, I'm a sc- you know, I'm a scorer. I'm going to score from somewhere." And I was like, right, "Well, you know, that's, that's not, not really not how like that works." Thing. But. Here's the, so here's the other interesting part. Uh, you know, Rondo shot uh, 36.5% from right. three last season, which is by far the highest of his career. He's an underrated shooter and, and an overrated defender at this point in his career. Well, no, here's the thing. Like, you could say that was an outlier, but then you look back, uh, the 46 games he played in Dallas in 2014-15 after he got traded from the Celtics, he uh, he shot 35%. So, like, that's, uh, that's around 100 110, 111 game samples of him being a league average-ish three-point shooter, and I don't know if that's just like I, I, again, again, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of more inclined to trust the eight-year sample size of him being like high twenties, low thirties than these last hundred, hundred and fifteen games or so that he's played. But like, I mean, that that is there. Like, maybe he legitimately has improved his three-point shooting. Yeah, I think there was an interesting piece from uh, Matt Moore. I think it came out yesterday. Yeah, I saw that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and he described how it could potentially work and that, you know, with a, a ball handler like Rondo who could facilitate more easily would allow 
Butler and Wade to, to focus more on back cuts and things of that sort where they could get freed up and, and have easier scoring opportunities. And that, you know, he, at least he poses a threat of, of potential outside shooting, even if it's not something as consistent as you'd normally like. But, I mean, it's it's interesting. I think it could work. Look, I, I think to the, the point, I think a lot of it has been overstated, and I think it could work. It could blow up also because of the egos and personalities. But I think that the, acu- the basketball acumen of the three players is sufficient where they'll figure out a way to make it work. And I think to your point earlier about Wade kind of, you know, acknowledging that he needs to take a step back, he'll figure it out how to blend with those two players. And I think it, it could work. I mean, I'm actually a lot higher on Chicago than most people, I think. And, and they have a, I, I like their potential, to be honest with you. Not, not, maybe not a title contender, but they're, they're definitely a strong <laughs> playoff team. That's just because you like well, Robin I'm gonna, Lopez, though. I'm going to... I'm going to also go out ahead and say that I don't think the Bulls are a title contenders. So I'm going to, I think, I think they're, I think they're like, cause so, so here's the thing. I was actually, I did a podcast yesterday with Chris Manning, uh, who does locked on Cavs, And we talked mm-hmm. about some of this stuff and kind of the Eastern conference, uh, picture. So, you I mean the top, obviously Cleveland is like totally on a different level from anybody else in terms of like in the East, like the contenders. And I think Boston and Toronto are the next two. And then you've got like that whole cluster of like Detroit and Indy and Charlotte and like, I guess Atlanta, and then awesome. I feel like the Bulls yeah. and the Heat and the Knicks and the Magic. I don't. I'm not high on the Magic. <laughs> Me neither. But like, but like the Bulls, the Heat, and the Knicks, and I guess like the Pacers are kind of all in that cluster of like teams that are going to be competing for like the six, seven, eight. And I think my I think Miami's a playoff team if Bosch is healthy the whole mm. year. Sure, but. Like I and then Chicago, like I think they have just they have enough talent on paper. It's just again, it's a matter of if they can get them all to mesh together. I th- I think that when you're looking at the Eastern Conference in general, you know, like you said, the Cavs are clearly at the top there. Right. A lot of people are saying that the Eastern Conference is deeper, but I don't really like that word deeper. I just it's think it's kind of just, just more. Well, it's just more not as it's not more as good. Like I feel like if if you just took the Spurs and put them in the East, then that would technically make that the East deeper. But nobody would be saying the East is deeper. All of a sudden, everybody's saying that the East is a two-team conference, right? It's not that it's deeper. That? It's just that it w- it's like you have the Cavs and a bunch of like kind of but not really good teams. Right, because like right, because like the Cavs are clearly like up at the top, and then everybody else is kind of like there's a lot. There's a lot greater separation between the Cavs and the number two team in the East than there is between the number two team and the number like ten team. Right. Because like you got, and I almost I almost feel like the West is the same way now that Kevin Durant is on the Warriors. You've got the Warriors up in their own class in terms of talent, and then you know, and everybody else from like two through eight or nine, you just say okay, like these could these teams could finish in any order, and it wouldn't really shock me. And it wouldn't really matter, and that's the thing. It's just like you know, the the Boston the Boston Celtics can have like the best year ever with Al Horford and everything that they've got going on, finish second in the East, and then be like, and then they'll just lose to the Cavs. I mean, it's well, what's interesting to me about Boston, though. I, I, I this is something else I talked about with Chris yesterday. Uh, he asked me who I thought was the East team that had the best chance of beating the Cavs in the playoffs, and I said, as presently constructed, there isn't one. But the Celtics have the pieces mm. if another, you know, 
number one type guy becomes available on the trade market. I don't think it's going to be Jimmy Butler after the offseason the Bulls had, but let's say it's like Paul George or Blake Griffin or DeMarcus Cousins or something. If they had, like, they have the pieces to make a trade for somebody like that, and if you pair that with Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas, like, that could get interesting. I, I like, I'm starting, to, the more I look into the Atlanta Hawks, the more I'm starting to kind of get into what it is that I happened there. Kind of. I'm on the same page as you. I'm also I'm also like one of the biggest Dwight Howard defenders that's left in like the NBA world. I he's back he in the Eastern Conference, rap. which is where he's been good, right? So I don't know if that means anything, but that's certainly something. The Hawks were, the Hawks were I think they were like the third worst rebounding yes. team in the league last year, and that's the one thing that Dwight can still do consistently at an elite level. And all he needs to do is just be there when LeBron gets to the rim, right? He doesn't need to defend like the, every foot on the floor like he did in Orlando, like. He just needs to be there between LeBron James and the rim, and that, like that's a hard thing to do. But Dwight Howard can do it, and I like Paul Millsap's versatility. You know, we don't have to. We all on this podcast know how good Paul Millsap is. I think the one thing for the Hawks, and it's kind of their wild card, and I think this was kind of the thought process behind trading Teague was all right. We know what Teague is. We don't really know what Dennis Schroeder is. He might not be ready, but he also might be really good. We don't know. Let's just figure this out. Let's let let's see what happens here. Like if he takes this massive leap, you know, this year three leap, who knows? You know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's a gamble. I kind of get why they did it, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a risk. But I kind of like what the Hawks said. I think that, uh, obviously, Mil, obviously, Al Horford at this point is a better player than Dwight Howard, but I think that Dwight Howard fits better next to Paul Millsap than mm-hmm. Al Horford does. That's interesting. And I, I think a lot of people have concerns that, that you know, they're, they're, it's going to shift the way that they've played because they've played so well over the last couple of seasons with a completely different offense. You know, such a pass-oriented type offense. And obviously with Dwight there, it's going to change completely. But I have faith that Budenholzer is going to be able to change things around. And, and a lot of people forget his origins are with the Spurs and that he worked you know, closely with Duncan and Robinson, who weren't necessarily right. pass-happy players either. So I think he can probably work wonders with Millsap and Howard as well. And now you kind of know what to do with their quote-unquote death lineup East, you know, that you want to do. Like with Horford and, and Millsap, they were both like floor spacers and so versatile in their own right. So that's not a bad thing. But if you wanted to kind of really shift and go small, you don't have to feel like you need Horford and Millsap on the floor. You could take Dwight Howard out, move Millsap to the five, maybe, you know, play Schroeder, um, Tabo Cephalosha, Kyle Korver, and I'm missing somebody. But, um, you know, that's more. Ken Bazemore. Ken Bazemore, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ken Bazemore, obviously. And that's kind of an interesting lineup. Like, that's not, like, really great, but that's not, like, I mean, that could do some interesting things against the Cavaliers. It's the Eastern Conference, not really great, but it's interesting. Right, exactly. Some not really things. great, That's the... but are going to get the chance, right? Like somebody not really great is going to get the chance in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that somebody's got right. Somebody's got to make the Eastern Conference Finals against Cleveland, and you never know what kind of weird <laughs> weird stuff will happen. Yeah, you know, and and but but we are all thinking like, okay, unless barring injury, like it's going to be Cleveland, Golden State, right? I mean, I think so. I yeah. I did a Q and A with. Um, um, one of the Cleveland Cavalier writers at Fansided, and uh, they he seems to believe that um, the Cavaliers have a chance against Golden State because of the Warriors' lack of depth and specifically lack of rim protection, and that's where LeBron and Kyrie Irving are so good. I guess, but the Warriors also have Kevin Durant now. Right, and that's kind of like the trump card, right? It's against Kevin Durant, but are you worried at all about... I mean, you know, I think David and I saw that 
yeah, the rim, the lack of rim protection can be ugly. Like we saw that during the big three era, but LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, like it, it can get ugly at times. You can get dominated by it and make a guy like Roy Hibbert look like an all star and look like Hakeem Olajuwon or something. But Clay at the end Thompson of the day, is the third best shooter on the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like I mean. Uh, <laughs> The season hasn't even started yet, and I think everybody's already a little bit fatigued about what Golden State is capable of. Although, no, I'm think, actually, I'm actually excited to see it actually happen in person. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I, I met fans on the periphery. I think like your casual fan is already, you know, kind of like it's a lost cause, and you know, there's always that that grumbling sentiment that the season doesn't really start until the playoffs anyway, which is absolute BS. Well, you know but what, whatever. Though? You know what though? The last time that this really happened was when the Lakers got Steve Nash and Dwight Howard, and it was just like, okay, this is clearly going to be. Like, this is just the Lakers are just going to win again, and it's just going to be, you know, it's not even going to be a competition. And then that team was a complete disaster. Yeah, but I yeah. think we had that reaction in the time, but realized that that reaction was dumb because both Howard and Nash and, like, those guys didn't fit. And the the thing that this Warriors team has, that those those big three Heat teams had, was that the Warriors wanted this to happen. Like, Kobe wasn't, like, openly lobbying Dwight Howard and texting Steve Nash, like, come to the Lakers, you'll love it here. Like, Draymond Green was apparently, like, recruiting Kevin Durant for, like, the last two years, you know what I mean? Like, they want, just like the big three, they wanted it to happen. All those guys, like, from a personality standpoint, are so unselfish, and they're all so, like, willing to, I don't want to say make sacrifices, because they've all talked about, like, not wanting to make sacrifices, but they're so, like, like, there's nobody there who's like Kobe, who's like, I'm the guy, and you have to do what I say. I want to run it back one second, though. Where do you think the Bulls do finish? Because I'm interested to hear, like, I, a lot of people, like, they have them, like, in the lottery or, like, in the 8th or 7th seed. I think that's around the range I would have them. I've, I've been asked before to give, them, give like, a prediction for a win total. I think right, anything. give a prediction for a win total. I think <laughs> anything. I'll give you a range. So I think anything from, like, 38 at the low end to 43 three or 44 at the high end is reasonable to expect from them depending on injuries depending on fit i think the seventh or the eighth seed is probably if they were to make the playoffs around where they would uh find themselves i would be surprised if they got higher than that but you never know i kind of want to ask you a little bit because i'm trying to think of of questions that the typical heat fan and there are some out there obviously it might want to know about the bulls and and I can't help but you know come back to the the you know the battles that they had with those Bulls teams during the Big Three era and, right. and particularly Jakeem Noah and Derrick Rose who are no longer with the team and and I wanted to get your sense of of how that relationship ended whether or not there's any hard feelings necessarily or um or and how do you think the team has moved on and how the fan base has moved on without those two players there I know obviously it's only been a few months and you're not really sure of what this version of the Bulls team is going to do but. You know, what's your what's your sense of how that all played out? Well, I think it was pretty obvious from the start of the season or from shortly after the start of the season that Joakim wasn't going to be back after, you know, the first week of the season. Fred Hoiberg moves him to the bench, starts Miritich alongside Gasol. The move like from a basketball standpoint would have been to start Miritich and Noah together. But he just kind of—it was a political thing. He just—he kind of knew that Pow would complain and Joe wouldn't. Yeah. And then, like the first, like three days into the season, 
Fred does that interview with Zach Lowe where he says this might be the last thing Zach ever wrote at Grantland before it got shut down RIP but like he does that interview with Zach Lowe where he says where he said it was actually Joe Keem's idea to come off the bench and then Joe comes out the next day at practice and goes that's right and so like and so like I think just from there like this trust was just gone and Joe, like, like he, he's just, because of his personality, he was never going to publicly complain about what, you right. know, about coming off the bench. He's not going to make it into a distraction, but you could just tell being around him and reading between the lines of what he was saying, he was not happy about it. And then he obviously, he has the shoulder injury uh, with, you know, in January with three months to go in the season, and then he's away from the team for a while rehabbing, and then he kind of has those comments in, like, May or June when he's at something in Italy with Adidas where he says, like, you know, I had a great nine years in Chicago, and, right. uh, and like, and like I'm going to go see what's out there in free agency. And, from, and then it was just like, okay, we kind of know where this is headed. And plus then, right. like, like, he was one of the first deals that got done when you saw, like, what the salary cap was looking like and what kind of deals guys were going to be getting. And Joe was one of the first guys that signed uh, after midnight on July 1st. And it was like, uh, when you saw the contract, it was like, yeah, the Bulls definitely made the right decision not bringing him back at that price. And this was something I argued about with some fans after the Rose trade, was that, like, a lot of people were not really high on Robin Lopez. And I'm just like... For what they are now, obviously, at the, at his peak, when Joe was a defensive player of the year and he was an MVP candidate, he's a much better player. But for what they are right now, I would rather have Robin Lopez for $14 I, I million think a S- year. SI.com's like top 100 players, right? They ranked Robin Lopez over Joakim Noah, too. I, I agree with I that. Think right I, I, now, I, that's not unreasonable. The Darren yeah. thing is a lot more complicated because there's a lot more, like, he's from here. Right. He won the MVP. He had uh, okay. Wait, hold on, the- hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. Did he deserve <laughs> the MVP in 2011, or did LeBron get robbed? I'm with you on that one. That Ooh, LeBron I'm, got robbed. I'm with you. I think it's. I think LeBron and Dwight both had better cases than Derek that year. But I mean, we, you know, you know what it is though. Like it was everybody was mad at LeBron because sure. the decision, so they weren't going to give it to him. And Derek was being held up as like he's the humble superstar. So he was. You know, I I, I get it. Like, Regardless, like it meant a lot to the city when he won the MVP, and he seemed like he was going to be the next guy. And then you know they were the number one seed those those two those first two years of that kind of era, and then the injuries happened, and he was never the same guy. And you know from just just kind of the way that the Chicago media market is, and also just kind of Derek being the way he is, where he kind of just says stuff sometimes. Like when he said that thing a couple years ago about. Like, he's being cautious with his body because he wants to be able to walk after he's done playing and be able to go to his son's graduation. Like, on a human level, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to want, I feel like. And I don't think any right-thinking human would begrudge him for, you know, looking out for his long-term health. But then, you know... The, you, you know how, like, the local media, is, sports media is, yeah. and it's, like, like, talk radio when it comes to stuff like that. Like, oh, well, he's soft and he's... Well, the key, the key there was any reasonable person would think, and now now that's the big caveat, right. right? It's how many reasonable people right. out there, yeah. Right, and so, like, so, I mean, there, there, was, there, was, there were some subsets of fans that were, you know, a little bit resentful of how, many, of how much time he missed, like, to the point where I would tweet during the season... Like, Fred Hoiberg says that Derrick Rose is sitting out for precautionary reasons with, like, a wrist thing, which I'm sure is totally legitimate. And I would just get, like, the same five 
replies over and over again, like, hey, check out Derek Rose's new signature shoe from Adidas. And it's a picture of a walking boot. And so it's like, oh, <laughs> I think I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like, OK, wow, that's real original. And like, it's also totally cool to make fun of a dude's injuries. Like he didn't do anything to anybody except get hurt. Is is the we've talked about Fred Hoiberg a, a little bit, but is the book written on him? Is he just not going to work out? Or was that first year just so disastrous that we really need to give him a shot? Well, I don't think it was really fair to Fred to judge last year, to judge him as an NBA coach based on last year. Because if you look at what their roster was last year, it was the exact same. Like Bobby Portis, who was their first round pick last year, and Chris Felicio, who made the team as a kind of an undrafted free agent out of summer league and out of training camp. Those were the only two guys on the team last year who weren't on the team the year before. So you have this team full of veterans who had all played together for so long under Tom Thibodeau. And then you bring in a coach who's like a polar opposite of Tibbs. He's not as much, he doesn't work guys as hard. He's a much more offensive minded coach theoretically than he is a defensive minded coach. And you keep the exact same roster. There's going to be some growing pains. It's a roster that was built for Tibbs' strengths is not going to be able to seamlessly translate to a completely different coach with a completely different philosophy, especially a coach who's never coached in the NBA before and is coming straight from being a college coach. And so, it, you know, you knew there was going to be some rough patches there. And honestly, like like Fred's whole thing is he wants to build an offense that is, uh, you know, free flowing and fast paced and, and built on ball movement. And the second or third most important player in your offense is Pau Gasol. Like, that's just not going to work out. Right. <laughs> so I think... I think I think he's going to do better this year. I don't know if I'm ready to say, like, I think he's going to be a great NBA coach or I think, you know, he's going to be successful or he's going to not be successful. I think it's too early to say. But this roster, I think, is a lot more well-suited to his strengths as a coach and the kind of style he wants to play than last year's was. I'll say that. I think I think I think he's going to do better this year than he did last year. Now, you know, part of the I think what what a lot of people were concerned about the addition of Wade and Rondo is that obviously we had heard publicly that they wanted to go younger, faster, et cetera. And that's clearly <laughs> antithetical to that. I think that I think the terms as younger and more athletic and Gar Foreman will be the first to remind you that hashtag. Well, actually, the average age of the team did get younger and they have, I think, like 10 players on the team with less than three three years of experience. So it's like, okay, great. If you're going to count like Paul Zipser and Spencer Dinwiddie towards your total of getting younger and more athletic this summer, that's fine. But the guys that are playing the lion's share of the minutes. The bench be... is younger. <laughs> right. The, be- the bench, like the, 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 the guys on the team who are going to be spending a lot of time playing for the Windy City Bulls and Hoffman right. Estates are... The, celebra- that- the celebrations by the guys at the end of the bench are going to be way more energetic this year. Oh, 100%. Like, that, that, that part of the team got younger and more athletic. The guys that are actually going to be playing more minutes, like Rondo, Wade, Robin Lopez, <laughs> like, uh, I guess I guess Nico Mirage is probably going to be in the starting lineup, and he's only a third-year guy, but he's kind of an old third-year guy because he mm-hmm. played in, right. in Europe for so many years. He's already 26. Right. So, and what, what's your feeling on him? So, obviously, you think he's he's the best option to start at, four, at power forward, right? So, is, well, is his shooting... So spacing already. Like, if you're starting Rondo, Wade... Butler and Robin Lopez, none of those guys are reliable outside shooters. You have to put one guy in. If you put Taj Gibson in the starting lineup, I mean, Taj Gibson's a better player than Miritich, but like you put him in the starting lineup, there are zero reliable three point threats. You have to have one guy who's a threat. And so I think that's why Miritich is going to get the starting spot. Now, whether he does well with it, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because he. 
he's either like he is such a streaky. He he'll have like games where he'll you know hit seven threes, and then the next night he'll shoot one for eight from three. And if his if his confidence isn't there, and he's admitted this to me before, I've talked to him about it. If his confidence isn't there, like that'll carry over for games at a time, which is why you'll see him have a stretch where he shoots 48% from three and then a stretch where he shoots like 20% for a week. And so like, I I think the consistency is what really has to get there with him. But you know, he's a guy, theoretically, you put him out there, teams have to at least respect his shot, which is not really something you can say of most of the other guys that are going to be in the starting lineup. I think where does this leave McDermott then as far as the overall makeup of the team now? Well, I mean, here's the thing that's funny about Doug. He is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I think he shot he shot something ridiculous last year, like 44, 45, 46%. He is incredible at exactly one thing. And he's so bad at everything else. I think he like had one... I think he had like less... I think he was the only player with who played as many minutes as he did. I don't remember this exact stat off the top of my head, but it's something like he was the only player who played as many minutes as he did last year. And who was a power forward or a small forward and averaged like less than five combined rebounds, assists and steals. Wow. Like he's so like, he's so great at that one. Like he's like all world, like one of the best in the world at one thing and that's shooting and, and everything else. He's like barely like, like sub replacement level. So I think he needs to get better at rebounding. He needs to get better defensively. He tries hard on defense. He just has no idea where to be. and just, runs around like he just said like is completely lost on that end but he's a he's an amazing shooter and as long as he can shoot like I mean, you see a guy like you know anthony morrow who's not really great at much else but he can shoot so he's going to just stay in the league so i think doug is going to have a spot in the league because of that because he can just reliably knock down those shots and he's gotten a lot better at creating for himself off the dribble but you know if he wants to really be like a big rotation player he needs to get better at defense i think when you look at both of these teams if if either of them are like hovering around 500 by the trade deadline, both of these teams are prime teams to maybe make a move, right? The trade deadline, the Bulls to maybe acquire another shooter, what, or whether or not it's trading one of the three. You know, there's been a rumor about you know maybe they trade Dwayne Wade at the deadline or trade Rondo at the deadline if it's not working out with Jimmy Butler. But um, I think both teams in general, if there's somebody out there that's selling, they could be buyers. Well, the one guy that's on the Bulls roster that I think is definitely there's a real shot that he gets moved at the deadline if the season isn't going the way they want it to is Taj Gibson. Yeah, because he's he's got one more year left on his contract, and he's also a guy that if you're a contender and you need you know a versatile power forward who can defend, who's a reasonable enough offensive player, and who is one of the most respected like teammates and locker room guys in the league. Like, yeah. that's the exact kind of guy you should be going after at the deadline. Like, I could look around. Like, I think every single team in the league would be better for having Taj Gibson than for not having mm-hmm. Taj Gibson. Like, he's just one of those guys that, like, he's sort of like what you, he sort of, like, has the effect that Udonis Haslam has sure. on the Heat locker room, except he's, you know, still a actual functional NBA player. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he seems to, like, when a team is maybe, like, out, outperforming or maybe looking at the Cavaliers or the Warriors saying, we need a guy like Taj Gibson who might be able to yeah. hurt their small ball units. That could yeah. work. Because I could see like in the East, Taj like Gibson being like a, a answer to a Tristan Thompson lineup or something. He'd be great in like Toronto. Yeah. Or I wasn't even going to say Atlanta because you can, 
you can right, sure, yeah. play him and, and Millsap together and do some interesting stuff. There. He also doesn't com- he also doesn't complain about coming off the bench. Yeah. He doesn't complain about his role. He plays through injuries. He does everything you'd want a guy to do on a team like that. Yeah. All right. Anything else that we got that we need to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Uh, that's about it. I think this is going to be a real interesting season. Like, I mean, again, I hope. Everything works out with Chris Bosch. I want to see him back, but I hope they don't do anything that endangers his life. But other than that, like, I'm excited to cover Dwayne Wade. He was so good at his press conference. Like, it's, it's going to be so good to actually have a guy you can, like, talk to like that that's so reliable with the quotes, like, just for what we do. And his Snapchat. Yeah. Did you his check Snapchat, out, by the way, that, that his Snapchat? Snapchat and, his the, Snapchat and Gabby's Snapchat are both excellent. Gabby's is better. It went, once the season hits, Ga- Gabrielle Union's Snapchat will be better. Just let, keep an eye on hers. She said she said at the press conference that she's going to contact all of us on social media if we write things that about the team that she doesn't like. So I mean, maybe maybe she'll slide in my DMs this year. We'll <laughs> you can see. only be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, this was, Good this was fun. Yeah, well, that, we'll have to do it again before the, um, um, the Chicago Bulls-Miami uh, Heat. First matchup when Dwayne yeah. comes back. All right. Yeah. All right, that's our show. And whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, thank you for listening. As always, you can get in touch with the show on Twitter at Locked On Heat or by email where you can send us mailbag questions. That's lockedonheat at gmail.com. A big thanks again to Sean Hyken for hopping on to the show. We'll catch you next time. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.